Hello and welcome to Movie Challenge Accepted. I'm Jason. And I am Marco. And we are once again a twosome. We're a couple. It's just you and I. We've both recovered from last week's uh, Avengers Endgame mammoth episode with our guest Sharif McIntosh. Yeah, Uh, I I definitely needed the time off. It was was draining. It was incredibly draining. It was... (laughs) I feel like we ran a marathon, or I maybe you ran a marathon and I ran like the five k because I only watched five or six of those movies. Uh, that's what the MCU MCU does to you. That's what it uh, did to me too. You were definitely uh, at the end of Endgame. Like I said, I was I was done. I was happy. I was satisfied, and uh, and I, I'm sure you felt the same way. Yeah, I uh, I was put through an emotional marathon, and I came out on the other side. And uh, like people that run actual marathons, I am prouder for it. And now go. I'm going to put a little sticker on the back of my car that says 26.2. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, so we came off the Marvel Universe. Uh, we might go back to it. I don't know. You might throw me uh, an individual movie here or there in right, the future. Right. We Who's to say? Right, right. But you switched up, and you've you've thrown some interesting challenges at me so far. Right. And throughout our experience now, this is our 15th episode. Right. So 15 weeks we've done this. Mm-hmm. And I think our takeaway has largely been that we've mostly enjoyed the films that we've been exposed to, right? Like, they, they might not have been what we wanted right. or what we thought we would like, but mm-hmm. I think we've seen things that we wouldn't otherwise see, right? Uh, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I've uh, definitely enjoyed most of the ones that you have challenged me with. And shockingly, I've enjoyed most of the ones you've given me. And I feel like there's a but <laughs> coming on, though. <laughs> uh, so for this week, mm-hmm. you gave me Haywire. Right. Which is Steven Soderbergh's 2011. Um, I think it was 2011. Yes, 2011. I'm looking it up yeah. again now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. His, his foray into the action spy thriller franchise or uh, world? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's definitely a, more of an action flick than he's known for, yes. Right. So, not to bury the lead, I didn't enjoy this film. Oh and boy, talk about burying it. <laughs> Not very Jesus. So, well, wait. Well, there's there's a reason why I wanted to t- to talk about it that way, right? Like okay. the whole idea is we come you and I don't want to do a show where we declare something either good or bad no, because A, no, who, who are we to say, right, right? Right, right? And B, I think it's reductive to just lump movies into one of two categories. Right. Okay. And and you know, I I think the more interesting conversation here is about Soderbergh as a as a director as a filmmaker because I I think he's fascinating, right. um, and I think there's a lot to say about the choices he makes and the kinds of movies he's interested in. Mm-hmm. But for those of you that don't know, Haywire was the screen debut of UFC and Strikeforce uh, boxer and fighter Gina Carano. Yes, am I right? Yes, it was. Um, it was the lead debut. She had done a um, quick cameo in a movie one year earlier. Uh, that was a martial arts uh, street movie called uh, Blood and Bone or Bone and Bone. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not exactly Blood sure. Blood and Bone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see it yeah. now. Two, and, she uh, did it in 2009, Blood yeah, and Bone. Yeah, she was in there for a, a cup of coffee. And uh, But this is the lead uh, that uh, Steven Stadelberg put her in. So the, the plot of this movie, for what it matters, <laughs> is that Gina Carano works for a shady mercenary-style uh, corporation mm-hmm. that lends out fixers and special operators to any government, primarily the U.S. government, at least in this right. movie, right. to uh, kind of do the jobs the U.S. government doesn't want their signature on. Right, exactly. And something goes wrong. And do you, do you remember where... This 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 movie this plot went wrong. Was it in Barcelona? <laughs> I believe because Barcelona. it could have been Barcelona. Yes, because they mention it straight if away. You were, <laughs> if you were playing a drinking game where you had to take a shot every time a character in this film says Barcelona, be, you would be dead of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> You'd be drunk within the first five so, minutes. I'll tell you that. Oh my god! Uh, but basically, Gina Carano gets double crossed, and then it's her going back for revenge. Right. And the plot is definitely secondary to this being an excuse for a female ass kicker of a character. Right, and, right? And, and she was, and she was. But 
I think that's generalizing the film a little bit too much, in my opinion. And, and I understand where you might be coming from with that. However, I, I don't find it to be that much of a action film as much of a spy thriller, in my opinion. And I've seen my fair share of both. So I don't think that this is a Arnold Schwarzenegger film. I don't think it, I don't see it as the rock kind of film. Um, you know, I. Th those are very strong leads. I'm not sure if she's as strong as they are in a lead like this, but I found it to be a little bit more on the side of spy thriller than straight up action. My what opinion. would you, mm. what would you kind of compare Haywire favorably to? Oh, uh, boy, <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot there. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, so I mean, throw something out. Yeah, because. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, so there was a Tony Scott directed uh, spy movie for, starring Robert Redford and Brad Pitt called uh, Spy Game. I don't, I don't know if you remember yeah, that. I, I don't remember seeing that, no. Um, the Bourne movies are essentially very similar, yeah. you know, the super soldier. Yeah. Although I've not seen them, I've seen bits and pieces, I would imagine that they are very similar in tone at the very least, yes. And there are, I was trying to think of what else kind of falls into this because and I guess maybe the James Bond movies. Uh, I mean, James Bond to me has always been so much more bombastic in the way that they're produced, uh, except for maybe the, uh, to me, I think that, you know, we, we do agree that the uh, first Craig Bond film, uh, Casino Royale, I think we both said that it's the best out of all of them, although they're all good. Uh, the Craig films, I think that that would probably be a little bit more uh, scaled down in uh, terms of production. Yeah, the the Craig films kind of recontextualized Bond mm -hmm. as a born-like hardcore action character. Uh, more of an everyman, and, in my opinion. Yeah, like, he, he's not invulnerable, yes, yes. as we learned mm -hmm. in No Time to Die, right. but, you know, he, he gets hurt. The, the effects of his life are much more present on craig's bond in physically and emotionally right. than i think they were on connery or moore or dalton yes. or roger George moore Lazenby. did roger we moore. did we yeah, forget I roger moore? moore in there <laughs> no no i threw more in there okay um so it's interesting you thought you, you viewed or you approached this movie as kind of a spy thriller yeah because i, I kind of don't see too it. many of them like this so that's I, I i thought it was definitely more of a lungs of a spy thriller I come at it a completely different way. I thought that all of the plot, all of the the incredible supporting cast, like there's a lot of good actors yeah, in this absolutely, movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I feel like they're all kind of secondary to getting from a from scene to scene where Carano is able to do arguably what she does best, which is um, very physical, very uh, realistic looking fight scenes. Okay, specifically. The hotel room fight scene with Fassbender is great. It came out of nowhere. But I feel like I feel like the movie exists as an idea and to just say, wouldn't it be cool if we had this hardcore female who could kick ass? Okay. And I was trying to think if maybe you if you saw this in 2011, 2012 when it came out if maybe this movie would have resonated more with me because it would have been newer and more unique and more mm. of an original concept. But I feel like we've gotten to a point where you have female characters that are able to be compelling action stars. I mean, uh, Furiosa in Mad Max. Yeah, uh, uh, Charlie's uh, Charlie Theron. Yeah, Charlie's Theron. Yeah. She owns that movie. She does. Um, and, I, I mean, you can yeah. go through like... A, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're correct. I, we've you and I have seen a bunch of movies the last ten years where we've seen lots of female leads, strong female leads. However, I, I'm not saying that Gina Carano was the person who started it all, but it's nice to see uh, a, a kind of a start off point that some of these films have, uh, you know, taken from. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not taking too much away from this film as it being uh, a a blockbuster that opened up lots of different avenues. However, I, I don't remember too many female leads before this film. Not only not only a strong female lead, but a strong director, a name director, a, a director who is loved, beloved in independent circles. So that was one of the main reasons I gave you this film because 
you know, I'm not. I've learned that maybe you don't think he's as strong of a director as a lot of people feel in the last week. However, you know, you can't you can't deny what he's meant to the uh, independent industry for film over the last thirty years. So this is where I think this conversation gets a little more interesting because I don't want to come here and, and, and just shit on and, Haywire. And we're not. My, my, yeah, we're not. No. no. My, my general takeaway is that I, I think Carano proved in The Mandalorian mm-hmm. that there's a place for her. Right. Um, and then obviously she's done things to kind of shit on her own career. <laughs> but she, I, I think she evolved. So maybe it's asking too much because Ka, the Cara Dune character, mm-hmm. I think she's real good in that role. Yes. And I thought The Mandalorian yeah. was awesome. Yeah. But... I, maybe you're expecting too much of her, or I was expecting too much of her in this, where Soderbergh seemed completely comfortable with just focusing on Carano's glowering face, mm-hmm. which only was able to convey a single emotion throughout the film. There were a few points when she kind of smiles, she kind of breaks, but in terms mm-hmm. of emoting or delivering her lines in, 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 in a charismatic way, in a way, you know, movie stars have this ability where... Even if a film is bad, you can't take your eyes off of certain people. Right. And in this movie, I just don't think she has it. And the fight scenes are interesting, but they're also kind of inert. And I thought they were a little bit lifeless for what they were. Probably a little bit too choreographed uh, for what we were watching. I think uh, to think that, I don't care if you're special forces or not, I, I think that some of these fight scenes that we see in these films are so choreographed that I can't believe that people actually really fight like this in uh, in these situations. I'm not sure if these situations actually exist, but I would imagine there'd be a lot more brawling, hair pulling, biting, <laughs> and you know, and here they are squaring up against each other in the middle of the hotel room with Michael Fassbender. And uh, I'm, I'm like, well, while this is nice looking back on it, probably not as realistic as uh, as, as as it can be. But uh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, but also realism. I mean, we are here in the movies, and right. and I, I'm not an adherent to realism because you can, you can make things very real, and then it's at the expense of story, and it, it's going to become boring because right. the real world is for the most part boring. Yeah. I mean, excluding thank, thank God. certain, pl- <laughs> yeah, certain things that are going on right now. Right. But for the most part, like we go to the movies to see experiences mm-hmm. and to have experiences that we would never have on our own. Okay. And so I don't mind, like, a cool fight scene is a cool fight scene. I, I go back to, like, Terminator 2, and th- that movie's just filled with moments that dropped your jaw. And yeah. I'm not saying this was going to be a Terminator 2, because as you said, Soderbergh is, is largely an independent or an independent-minded director. Right, right. But as I was watching this, I, I, I realized Soderbergh is, is beloved by cinephiles. Yes. And I aspire to be a cinephile i like to think of myself like i'm not as educated i did not go to film school but i truly try to appreciate directors that have a unique vision Mm -hmm. and soderbergh does right and whether or not that vision and and what he's willing to do resonates with me i think is where i I butt up a heads. So he, he burst onto the scene, 1989, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Right, I, right. Have you ever seen that? I, I have. I have, mainly because the word sex was in it. <laughs> but, uh, well, I right. mean, let's be honest. Cla- back then, Keeping it classy here. <laughs> back then, it actually made uh, a big splash on the movie scene back then. So there were many people talking about it in the news at the time. So it was definitely something I ended up watching maybe like a few years later. It was on HBO. And... I found I, I understood where he was coming from with it. I understood the plot. I found it boring. <laughs> you know, it wasn't it no, was it, it wasn't much to me. Um, let me put it this way: all the hoopla that was that it was surrounded that was surrounding the film it was not warranted in my mind. So he that movie kind of came out, and he was anointed the next great independent auteur filmmaker. Yes, and yes. and so the reason why I'm, I'm getting into him is because I think he's going to segue us into Chloe Zhao. So he comes out, Sex Lies Videotape, 1989. And A, I know that lately he's been pounding out movies in rapid fire, just like a machine gun. And my thing is, is a lot of them come and go. And I didn't even realize how many he'd made in doing research for this. Early on, a lot of his movies I really enjoyed. Uh, Out of Sight is an all-time classic. Uh, George Clooney, uh, Julia, uh, 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 
Jennifer Lopez, Julia. I'm sorry. Jennifer Lopez adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel. Right. Fantastic movie. One of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. The Limey starring Terrence Stamp. You ever see that? Um, bits and pieces. Bits yeah, and pieces. like British right. uh, gangster yeah, movie. Exactly, Great movie. Yeah. Traffic mm-hmm. I, uh, I, about the American. Yeah. Bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, and then Ocean's Eleven, which is probably his most successful mm-hmm. mainstream movie. Right. And oddly enough, he did. He touches on Tarkovsky, mm-hmm. uh, your first movie that we did yeah. here, Solaris. Yeah. Remake, he did the American yes. remake. Yep. And then things kind of go a little kooky. So right now we're in 2002. He does Solaris. That really didn't hit. Mm-hmm. He does the Ocean's sequel. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, I, I don't think that's well regarded. No, the second one uh, was the, definitely not that great. No, Ocean's 13, I, I thought was enjoyable for yeah. what it is. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, not, not as and then as he the does first, the yeah. two. Mm-hmm. No. He does the two uh, Benicio del Toro Che Guevara movies, mm-hmm. um, the Girlfriend Experience. He does. A, there is a movie in here that I thought was incredible. It was a Matt Damon movie called The Informant. Okay, I thought you were going to say um, Contagion, but okay. <laughs> no, no, I, I did not like Contagion. I didn't also realize he did, he did Magic Mike. He's done a lot of movies. Yeah, the thing with him is he's done a lot of movies in a lot of genres. He's not an action movie guy. Mm-hmm. He's not a quiet drama guy. He will touch. A lot of different places. Right, right. Um, he came out with a movie last year, a crime thriller that took place in Detroit in the fifties called No Sudden Move, mm-hmm. and I was so stoked for that movie. Okay, and I saw it, and it came and went, and I don't think I'll think about it again. Wow. It has an incredible <laughs> cast. It's a little, much like this. It's a little confusing. Right, but. What I've noticed is Soderbergh seems to now fall into that character of director that is more interested by how he can tell a story rather than what the story is. Okay. Do you, uh, okay, so do you know that he has a thing where he, I, I think one of these movies, and, and a better podcaster would have done more <laughs> research, but he, he, he shot a movie entirely with iPhones. Uh, yeah, uh, was that him? I didn't realize that was him. Uh, hey, God bless him. <laughs> if he right. can get away and, with that. Yeah. I think he likes challenging himself. And also in this movie, he plays with color palettes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot with the, a lot of the U.S. government scenes with Michael Douglas where the color palette is this overwhelming green. Right, right, okay. And I think he is interested in kind of retaining this low-cost, independent, approach to filmmaking Mm -hmm. and if you're going to take a movie like haywire and you're going to shoot it in kind of a very i don't want to say simple because i'm sure it's not simple to shoot by any stretch right right. but there's no computer effects really you are relying on the charisma and and watchability of your star okay and if that star is lacking in charisma and the fight scenes tend to be shot i think somewhat flatly in my opinion i think the movie just ends up kind of not working then the the plot again the the guy that wrote it lem dobbs has written a a bunch of movies that i liked okay did you did you look him up uh no no i did not look him up uh but let's see what he's done here uh i can i think he did (laughs) romancing the stone i love romancing the stone come on romancing the stone (laughs) classic um Um, the limey like you said uh the limey the score which Mm -hmm. is an underrated heist movie uh Mm -hmm. it came around around the same time as a david mamet movie called the heist Uh um Um, he he also did Gotti with with John Travolta, and yeah, all that was an all time terrible 2010s film. I and then I will say that I'm not shitting on it. I'm the rest of the world shit on it. Why can't I? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to get on you on that. Yeah. But he's he's touched. He did the hard way. The the Michael J. Fox James Woods yes. uh, movie yeah. back in '91. Yeah. Fun movie. LL yeah. Cool J yeah. shows up for yeah. a cup of coffee. Yeah, fun, fun. I guess. I'm, yeah. I'm listen, I mean, he's the, listen. He's had a great career. Who who are we kidding? Um, you know, I and. I think, I I think I like this film because exactly what you just said though uh, that the that there isn't that much um, effects in this. It's all practical effects, whatever there is. Um, I, I think that everybody, for their part, however large it would be, Michael Douglas, Antonio Banderas, uh, Channing Tatum, I think did a great job. And while while yes, Gina Carano has her stone face throughout. Not only this film, but let's be honest, her entire career. Uh, and she's not an actress per se. She's learning the craft over the last 12, 13 years. She hasn't gotten any better at emoting. However, 
you know, Steven Soderbergh must have seen something within her and and these characters to play and these these actors to play them. Uh, let, let's be honest. If you're if you're playing a um, secret, you know, spook kind of of uh, soldier uh, character, I'm not sure you're going to be happy. I'm not sure you're going to be, you know, uh, all that you know, pleasant a person. The things that you're doing are not that pleasant. That's why you have this job for plausible deniability. The government sends you out there. If you get busted, it's on you. It's not on them. So for what he was trying to do, I think it worked well. If you look at it like from that point of view, in my opinion. Yeah. I, and I get that. I, I think that, I mean, we're, we're getting into like, what would a real agent of this, well. <laughs> doing this kind of work be like? Yeah. But I think in yeah. terms of like for a movie, like everyone else in this, uh, Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm puts on a decent enough show yeah, and yeah. although i thought i thought the climax on the beach was just uh, was right. it was a little not... weak it was a little weak <laughs> and, and so th- that and that's kind of my thing is i i think and i don't i've never had a conversation with steven soderbergh believe it or not <laughs> I, I can't but believe it <laughs> knowing knowing what i've read from him about him and what he said i think he is interested in trying new things and i think the appeal of this movie of this concept to him was like hey we can put a female into a badass slot and I can shoot it in kind of this quick run and gun style that I shoot it in and I can pound this thing out and I can get on to the next one because that's kind of his thing. He put out two movies in 2011. He put out Contagion and Haywire. And then in 2012, he did Magic Mike. I, yeah. I, the guy just, just yeah. pounds yeah. out movies the same way. Like, you know, the, the, the Clint Eastwood rap is that Clint is one take and done. That whenever he directs a movie, it's like one take and the day is wrapped before lunch, and that's why people like working with him because he just gets to the point. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think Soderbergh is more interested in kind of trying out unique camera angles and trying to shoot things in a that kind of maintaining that independent sensibility. And if you're going to do a movie like this, you have to have someone who is wildly compelling. And mm. I, I don't know. I just didn't think. I, I just didn't think it was it was all that compelling, which is a shame. Yeah. Because okay. okay. I, Soderbergh. I, I, I can't fault you. Uh, you know, I, listen, you're, we are uh, we are apt to uh, sometimes not like the films that we are challenged with, and uh, you know, not trying to give you Transformers every week, obviously. But uh, I'm I'm a little surprised that this didn't resonate a little bit more with you because it's uh, my opinion. It's right up your alley. Uh, but I mean, I, your your reasons are definitely sound. May I just ask you a question? Um, <laughs> there's one particular scene in this in this film that came so out of nowhere that I had to rewind it probably about a dozen times to make sure that I saw what it was that I saw on the on the screen. It was the part where Gina, who apparently is a fantastic driver, uh, also was driving in reverse. <laughs> And the and the deer came. The deer. <laughs> yeah. How about how about that for something that is so random? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did see that. That was that was mildly humorous. But then you you put me back in that car with mm-hmm. Gina mm-hmm. and the uh, the the character that she kind of runs into at the diner, which is the opening scene right, where she right. mm-hmm. beats the stones off of uh, Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're bringing me back to Scott was the mm-hmm. character. Yes, Scott. Name. Right. I could not. So, what is her motivation of telling Scott? Because the movie is framed essentially as most of it is a flashback, right? The first, well, definitely the first 15, third. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it is her fleeing this fight that she has. Channing Tatum tries to kill her. She flees it. She grabs a rando who helped her out in the <laughs> diner, and she then proceeds to tell him, "I'm a secret agent. Uh-huh. Let me tell uh-huh. you what the last few months of my life have been like." Let me tell you a story. Uh, I will say this: that uh, while I can't tell you her motivations, obviously the motive it's to further the plot, uh, but it it that that probably seemed very odd. Uh, I will say this: I thought that Scott was going to be a bigger character in this film, <laughs> with how much screen time he had in the first 25, 30 minutes of this film. I thought he was going to be somebody, but it turned out to be nobody. So. I, I, right? I, I thought like I kinda, I, that was a weird I, yeah. that was a weird thing too, and you know, whatever. Now I'm I'm not trying to you know haul back the film that I challenged you with because I still thoroughly enjoyed it. But there are definitely some bones that we can pick with it, as we could all films and uh, some weird choices. Yes. 
Yeah, no, I just thought it was a very strange uh, framing device in which to, t- right. to tell the story. And I get that you needed it because you have to get her, you have to get her from Barcelona through Dublin back to America. And then obviously she hunts down uh, Kenneth at her father's house. Bill right. Paxton, Bill, Bill Paxton. Paxton. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. let's, let's pour one out yeah, for Bill Paxton. Yeah, who <laughs> even, whenever he shows up, mm-hmm. he's just going to be like, I am a professional actor and mm-hmm. I'm going to act. He's and a man. He, he's a man's you know, actor. Absolutely. <laughs> it, you know, and, and he, he shows up in this again. It, it, a lot of the, the stunning cast, Fassbender, Tatum, Michael Douglas, Ewan McGregor, Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. A lot of these people, I think the appeal is that they want to work with Soderbergh. Yeah, right. Because Soderbergh attracts like crazy talent um, because he's he's so well respected. And I I, I don't know. I think, you know, you have uh, Douglas shows up for three scenes. Banderas is in like two and a half. Right. On the phone. uh, On the phone most of the time. Yes. Yeah, and and it's mostly this leans almost entirely on on Carano. And if you're going to lean on Carano, you got to have like. That Angelina Jolie or Charlize Theron or mm. Mich- even Michelle Rodriguez, yeah. there's something wow. about her yeah. where she exudes a certain danger. And believe me, of, of all those women, Gina Carano is almost certainly the one who would beat me senseless the easiest. <laughs> I think she could. I think she would almost certainly beat the stones <laughs> off of both of us. Yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> but as like a compelling actor that i wanted to engage with and i wanted to sort of like i'm vested in your journey i care i get to what happened in barcelona (laughs) i need to know tell me Um, i i I don't know it just it it just well okay well you know what unfortunately gina carano's um uh, film debut as a lead did not do it for you. Uh, maybe at some point in the future you'll see her very best film. I'll have to challenge you with that with the Fast and the Furious Six. So uh, that was that was the, to me that was her best role. But uh, you know who am I to say? <laughs> I don't know where Fast Six stands in the pantheon of Fast and Furious movies. Uh, right after five, <laughs> in many oh, in, okay. may, in many ways. <laughs> So, you know, it's funny, too, because every now and then I look at the movies that we've done right. and I go back to when we started mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, yeah, that movie wasn't that bad. And right. I kind of remember them fondly the farther I get from them. And I enjoyed Fast Good. when Fast Five, right. I watch. I enjoyed it way more. Right. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected to. Was, I really thought I was. That gonna, was your debut. I have that. Our debut challenge. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was going to be a. Uh, I was going to have like a pretentious <laughs> cinephiles response to it. In fact, it kind of won me over. But Good, good. Yeah, so 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 Soderbergh is the more interesting conversation because again he is beloved, but lately I don't get, I don't respond to a lot of his movies, and I also feel like a lot of his movies are kind of they come and go incredibly quickly. He put out a Meryl Streep movie in 2019 called The Laundromat. He did No Sudden Move. Uh, Kimmy, he's got a movie out right now. If you're listening to this right after it drops, right. Uh, Zoe Kravitz in sort of a sci-fi dystopian movie, I believe. I haven't seen it yet. What's but... that one? Kim? Kimmy? Kimmy. K I M I. It's yes. on H. It's an HBO Max movie, and oh. that's the same place he did uh, No Sudden Move. Is right, right. I, I think he just likes pounding these movies out and good for him and and hey he's he knows what he's doing he's got he's directed he's credited with 35 feature films as a director that's the oscar for traffic stunning number absolutely yeah and but you know i I don't know it's just what he's doing now just doesn't is is not my bag and that's fine because guess what he knows what he's doing and (laughs) and i do not so here we are watching his films one way or another exactly so the so then Again, the other reason why I find him interesting is he started as an independent filmmaker, right? And he's kind of retained that small uh, feel to his films. Like he doesn't do blockbusters. He's not doing, oh, I don't know, The Eternals. But <laughs> our second movie in the challenge this week, mm-hmm. I think, Chloe Zhao mm-hmm. is sort of the opposite of what Steven Soderbergh's career has been. And, and although she's only made four movies, and this week, right, right. I gave you Nomadland. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I, I you know what? I mean, I, you could say what you want. They're both um, have uh, well, one is more of an independent film than the other, but they both have uh, roots in independent films. Um, Nomadland for me was the first real independent film I think you've given me in quite a long time, or at least the first darling of the independent circuit that uh, I've I've watched. 
um, the second Chloe Zhao film, and I have to say that I see where the cinematography and the vision of Eternals comes from, because this was a beautiful movie to watch, uh, to look at. Uh, let me let me let me rephrase it. Uh, no, no it's, it's okay. Th- th- there's no but here. It, it it was it was a good film, and it resonated in some parts with me. However. It left me flat in uh, a few a few places. I think that Francis McDermott has shown to be the Meryl Streep of our generation, uh, at the very least in the last 20 years. I mean, she won for Fargo in 96, and she's won, I, I didn't realize she won four Oscars, one of which was a production Oscar for um, Billboards, I think. Was that was that the one that she won the production for? Uh, yeah, yeah, three Billboards right, outside... Right. Right, yeah. exactly. So, you know, she can do anything. She she is such a great actress. In this film, I felt everything that she was putting out there. She was lost, lonely, heartbroken. She was all of those things. And I felt every single one of those emotions come through. She looked like she was ready to cry at the drop of, of a hat. And she did sometimes. And... I feel that her journey in this film as a character ended exactly as I thought it was going to. And that, spoilers here, it was going to be alone. She she was a character, she played a character in this film, Fern, that was best alone. And it really didn't come to me until the end of the film why she wanted to stay in the broken town that she of empire uh, after her husband died is because that's where she knew her life with her husband and if you had um, if we saw from the beginning of the film or, or the middle of the film when she met up with her her sister in i believe san diego or something like that you know the sister says you know I, I always i admired that you left at such a young age you were so independent and i think that really not so much independent as she was tied to her husband and the lifestyle and the life that she lived that when she pa- when he passed away she knew nothing else except for that area of land and that's why she stayed so that's an interesting take because the easy way mm-hmm. that this movie would have been done right. and the lazy way to do this would have been for her and David Strahane mm-hmm. um, to end up together, Dave. Right. Because, and again, for those of you that don't know Nomadland, in terms of plot, there isn't very much. Basically, Frances McDormand plays a character named Fern who has lost her husband. She used to live in the town of Gypsum, uh, which was Wait, which essentially the, the town grew it, up around. Isn't it Empire? That. Empire. I'm sorry. And and they mine gypsum Gypsum company. Yes, Yes, there you go. (laughs) Correct. Um, So the town is Empire, and that obviously that name and and Empires has faded, and that naming of that town is clearly Mm -hmm. an allusion to sort of the the end of the American Empire, the American century. Mm -hmm. But Fern has lost everything. Her husband passes away, and she takes to living out of her van. Right. And this was based on a nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder. And a lot of the characters, I don't know if you know this or not, but Chloe Zhao uses what in Hollywood is called non-professional actors. Uh, and that's I was going to bring that up. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up because I didn't want to really wiki the whole thing until I spoke to you about it. But thank you for bringing that up. Wait, if I can just interrupt real fast. It definitely felt to me that the, uh, of all of the uh, characters that you see in this film, all of the actors, quote unquote, maybe three or four of them are actually professional actors and you see these people uh, speaking to almost in a documentary style way and i i got i picked that up right away when you're talking to all of the uh the other quote-unquote nomads that fern uh, interacts with these people I wouldn't be surprised if these people are actually living out of their vans. We know that Bob Bob Hall is that his name. Bob Hall is is a yes. uh, Bob Wells. Excuse me. Bob Wells is um, a true nomad. He he, he has a he has a, a YouTube channel. You know, millions of followers, and he's trying to tell people how they can live like this. But you can tell that 
Bob uh, Bob Wells in this film is also a tragic figure of sorts, and you learn that towards the end. All these people do a great job of showing you what it is like to live like this. However, it's a little disingenuous to really show that uh, these these people are, you know, to me happy with their with their lifestyle choice. Because I doubt that any of them would really be living like this if they were not, if they were not forced to, in some way or other. So, Fern is presented with an opportunity not to live like this. Exactly. Like Dave. Yeah. yeah David Strahane's character builds a relationship with her. He's another. He's another uh, camper Van, Van or, Dweller. or Van Dweller. Van Dweller, right. and he goes back to his hel- to his home to his family, and he reconnects with them. And he tells Fern that she can stay. And Fern is like, oh, good. I have to do laundry. Right. And that you can tell that's not what he meant. He wants Fern in his life mm-hmm. in, a, in a more permanent, stable, right. traditional manner. Mm-hmm. And Fern wakes up before dawn and mm-hmm. gets in her van and drives away. And right. I think the, what makes this movie more interesting to me is th- there's a way to do this where this is just a, a sad, pitiful account of one woman who has been screwed over by the Great Recession and she mm-hmm. lost everything and now she's working for Amazon part-time in, in the factories and... Right. Not the factories, in the, in the, in the picking warehouses. Mm-hmm. And the way to do this cheaply is to sort of just make her a sad character. But I think the reason why this movie resonates with me is in the end, Fern kind of makes a conscious choice that this is the life she wants. Right, right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it was done very well. Uh, I, and my opinion is that uh, the way that the, what I took from it is that she feels um, a connection to, uh, well, she feels better being alone. However, you know, she only, she only had her husband. She loved her husband and... I believe that she was not only married to him, but also the idea of what he brought to her, the the, the stability in her life, the uh, the lifestyle, the, where they were at. She was truly, truly happy there. And I don't think she's going to be able to find that anywhere else in a stable environment. That's why she goes from one job to the next. You know, we started in, in Nevada, and we we were, I, I think we went to, up to Idaho, we went to South Dakota, we were in, she was working wherever she could, and she was happy, she was happy like that. I, I don't know how myself, but I mean, uh, God bless them. You know, you talk about uh, Chloe Zhao uses, or we mentioned that she uses non, non-professional actors, right. and the reason why you can tell that easily and i thought that most of the performances in this were incredible Mm -hmm. and i think zhao elicits better performances from her normal people than say clint who towards the end of his career like in gran torino and um the movie he did about the train attack uh, from paris that was interrupted Mm -hmm. he uses a lot of of non- professional actors right. and in Clint's movies I think it shows in a, mm-hmm. in a bad way right. and I think you're getting stilted kind of wooden performances right right but in this admittedly this is the only Zhao movie I've seen okay. so she did a movie before this called The Rider okay. uh, and The Rider is about a a rodeo performer who suffers a near fatal head wound and has mm-hmm. to kind of figure out what his place in the world is going to be and she uses again in that movie non-professional actors right. and I've not seen it I need to see it but I, I think her ability to sort of get people who are not necessarily comfortable in front of the camera to be as emotional and as powerful in terms of how they emote and how they, they kind of make us identify with them. Hmm. Uh, I, I like uh, Swanky in this. Yes. Was, yes. Uh, Very good. Like that, that was... Yeah, and that was just that was heart wrenching, and mm-hmm. and again, there's a way to do this movie where it's just an accounting of terrible events right. and people that have had shitty hands dealt to them. Right. But I think giving Fern some agency and letting her sort of make her choice in the world changes the whole conception of the movie. And again, my thing, the the movie's beautiful to look at. I wish this was something I saw in a theater, but right. I saw it. Because uh, because of COVID, it came out on Hulu, mm-hmm. and or I shouldn't say because of COVID. I don't know if this was always going to go to Hulu, but this is the kind of movie 
we talk about like what movies are going to be and and you know what Marvel has done to the world. Right. This is something I would have loved to have seen on a on a huge screen. Those those sunsets. Mm-hmm. You know the the Utah desert. Yep. was incredible. Yeah, I I, I and, wholeheartedly agree. And so, Zhao, and Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. Th- this was kind of where I went. So. Not not to di- to diverge away from Nomadland as a film, right? But I'm more interested in Soderbergh retaining this sense of independent filmmaking uh, prowess. Whether or not he resonates with me is irrelevant. And I feel like Zhao, you know, he Soderbergh came out in 1989 with Sex Lives Videotape. Mm-hmm. Zhao has made four films, the third of which, or the fourth of which. <laughs> Is Eternals. Mm-hmm. Well, a film you've seen, a film that I've not seen. Yeah. Okay, well, we're, and we're, we're not going to get in too much into that, but uh, yeah, I, I see a lot of similarities between No Man Land and Eternals. Not in story, not in scope, obviously, but I will tell you that uh, having seen No Man Land and, and it being what she is best known for, uh, admittedly, um, it... it, it, it Definitely should be. Uh, I think that she did her very best with what she was given. And I know that you said that uh, Eternals could have been a better film in her, uh, as she says, that uh, Marvel kind of got in in her face with it um, and changed some things. But the beauty of Eternals really comes from Nomadland. And it's nice that the big production companies, big, uh, big studios want to to use the user for lack of a better word the uh, the directors that come from an independent uh, back background um i just don't know that it will always be as successful as let's say a black panther was and we saw that with eternals right because coogler came along and and black panther is a movie i might watch on challenge because yeah. i've heard so much about it yeah. and now that i know that the MCU movies can be mm-hmm. more than what I thought they were. Right. I would be curious to see uh, Black Panther because mm-hmm. Fruitvale was very good right. and, and Creed is, oh my God, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like Eternals is the, and again, not having seen it, so this right. is probably okay. unfair, but what I've heard of it, mm-hmm. and, and Zhao herself has said that she felt that the movie was not what she wanted because she was not given final cut. Right. right. Which kind of brings me back to the the place we started, or not really started, but um, the second episode we ever did, you watched a David Lynch movie, right. Lost Highway. Right, right. And David Lynch is famous for having done uh, these hardcore, uh, not hardcore, but the, these very independent, very um, on the cheap uh, f- first couple of films. Right. He did um, Eraserhead, mm-hmm. and then after, I think right after that, he did The Elephant Man, and he was tapped... To direct Dune, right? And he did Dune, and it's a it's a very famous sort of debacle. I think it's actually a pretty decent film, but he essentially has walked away from the ownership of that film in 1984. Yes. Yes. And he said what that taught him is he would never again give up final cut on a film. That he right. needs to be able to say this is the film. I'm not going to let the studio get in the way. And I think this is what Chloe Zhao ran into with mm-hmm. regards to Eternals, because whether or not you resonate whether or not you're into a movie about a woman in her 60s driving across America in a van. Right. I think it is Zhao's vision, and 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 this movie is wholly her work. Mm-hmm. And I think for that reason, it is an it, it's an artist. It's something created by an artist. It is not something created by a factory. Okay. And I feel like she got drawn into the factory. Mm-hmm. And again, not having seen Eternals, but you have said you've yeah. seen it, and you told me not not your favorite MCU not, film. Definitely not my favorite. But you know, very interestingly, looking at Steven Soderbergh's filmography, Jason, it's amazing if you look on Wikipedia that they will name the films, and then, funnily enough, you know, it's not something that you ever really see when you look at somebody's uh, filmography. But they have the distributors, which you know, to me. So it, it makes it seem like he creates the films and then goes to the distributors or the uh, studios and saying, here's my film. Do you want to put it out? Do you want to get this out there? And pretty much his vision 
because you've been, we've never heard that his vision has changed. He's had to make changes, you know, uh, reshoots or anything. I wonder if he makes them films himself, and he's doing them on a freaking iPhone, so I guess he does, and then brings them to the, the uh, to the um, uh, studios and saying, "All right, here, you want it? You want to put this out? Great. The, then go ahead and do this." But you're not changing what the film is. I would imagine that it's the same thing. And um, Chloe Zhao maybe is just hasn't been around long enough to have that kind of clout. So it's interesting you bring this up because I've said to you that from what little I know of Soderbergh is I I believe that he is more interested in how he tells a story Mm -hmm. rather than the story itself. And the, the, the best example of that kind of director, I think is Christopher Nolan who constantly plays with time Mm -hmm. and how he can tell a story in a nonlinear fashion and still have it be coherent. Right. Um, Soderbergh, I'm looking right now at, a, at an IndieWire mm-hmm. article from 2017, which is around the time Logan Lucky came out. Did you see that movie? Uh, uh, bits and pieces. Okay, I have not. But I know that the thing, the, the conversation circling Logan Lucky was not so much about the movie, which is like a heist movie. Right. But it's more about how he was going to release the movie. Okay. And apparently the way he did it, is Soderbergh sold off foreign distribution rights Mm -hmm. um, and he raised $29 million for overseas pre-sales for the movie. Okay. And then he sold everything, quote, everything except the movie showing up in a movie theater in order to pay for (laughs) advertising and prints. That means that he sold all the rights, the Mm post-theatrical rights to HBO, Netflix, Video On Demand, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And he claims that he was able to sidestep the traditional Hollywood studio system. And he said, the money is not passing through any other hands. And when this came out, I remember, and that was another Channing Tatum movie and and Adam Driver, Logan Lucky. But when this movie came out, I remember the conversation was not so much about the movie as it was about how this revolutionary system Mm. of giving directors control would, uh, would extricate them from the clutches of the Hollywood studio system. Well, I don't think it's 2017. I don't think it's happened just yet as, as obviously we're talking about Chloe Zhao, a uh, best picture uh, winning director for an Oscar. So I I don't think that's happened yet. Um, You can various reasons as to why maybe, but I, do I think that that will be the norm? No, I I think we can agree that it will never be the norm. Um, However, if you are making a smaller film, that doesn't have the effects, doesn't have the huge budget, perhaps that would be an easier way to do that. And Steven Soderbergh's films, for the most part, looking back on them, have not been huge productions. I mean, you know, Ocean's Eleven, yeah, or the Ocean's films, probably his biggest productions, you know, and, and biggest budgets. Other than that, though, I'm sure he could do all this stuff on an iPhone nowadays, like you said, and, you know, who's going to argue with him? And, you know, if he doesn't want to give the production rights or, or, or TV rights or Netflix rights or whatever, then he, he doesn't have to. That's him beating the system. But how many people can really do that? How many directors? Right. And, that, and that's sort of my thing. And whether or not Soderbergh's making movies that I'm interested in, because he has he touches all different genres. Yeah. Like he yeah. does a bunch of different things. He ran he was the creative show uh, force behind uh, the Clive Owen turn of the century hospital drama the nick i don't know if that was on showtime uh, uh no i don't i don't like remember 10 years seeing, ago yeah i don't remember seeing yeah that he one. he stepped away from feature films to do that for for two seasons and in the third season he wanted to shoot the third season in black and white using this this uh, very particular kind of cinematic uh anamorphic lens right. and cinemax was like nope you ain't doing that <laughs> and they canceled the show on him yeah. mm-hmm. and so then you know, since then, and I don't know if this has worked. I'm not as much of a student of the industry, but given the fact that he has made everything since this for HBO, I have to think that it's not quite working or it didn't work in the way that he thought because all of his movies right. since then, uh, the laundromat I think was straight to Netflix. Uh, no sudden move was HBO Max. Kimmy is uh, was HBO Max, right. and he did um, he did the Liberace uh, movie with Matt Damon behind the candelabra. Yeah, which was. Very good. Yeah, he <laughs> and yeah. he and do you know who he he shot that for HBO Max? So yes, yes. But that although that was four years before mm-hmm. Logan Lucky, mm-hmm. but you know I think he's he's also a guy that is 
doesn't want to be encumbered by the studio system. And I wonder if the only reason why he's able to not be is because he's been around since 1989, whereas mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao and Ryan Coogler and Taika Waititi right. are these people that have come up recently and they sort of get ingested into the machine. Uh, because I, I, I can see that. I can see that. The hot new, uh, the not hot new directors. I, I could definitely see big studios like Marvel uh, trying to get in with them so they can look a little bit more hip, current, uh, you know, in, in with the times and uh, social um, commentaries that some of these films may bring along. Yeah, because uh, like like Sharif said last week, like Black Panther was the first Marvel movie that, that really could touch on actual like social conversation beyond because the marvel movies can touch on on genuine human emotion but i think black panther did something much bigger and meant a lot to a lot of people for reasons beyond being a superhero right and when you want to bring someone with chloe Zhao's sensibilities into the marvel universe i mean from what i've seen she's she's kind of let down by the story which is fine except for the fact that i think she wrote the movie as well yeah okay well i mean <laughs> and in the end she has a lot of parts in this film that that, that she played in eternals and uh, for whatever reason it probably didn't work as well as everybody wanted it to I, I don't blame her i really don't i i blame the fact that these characters are so so obscure for so many people it's far beyond guardians of the galaxy which was obscure in 2014 but now we're we're really scraping the bottom of of, of the bottom of of, of obscurity from Marvel. Uh, if, so that's my that's that's the reason I don't think it worked. Okay, so now that that's an interesting question. This kind of gets off of uh, Nomadland mm-hmm. and Haywire, right. but now you raise an interesting question. Mm-hmm. If there, you are a hardcore comic book fan, and you believe Eternals mm-hmm. is kind of scraping mm-hmm. the bottom of the character barrel. Yeah. yeah. So, are we past? The, the the crest of the wave well, of the superhero movie universe. I we I mean we we spoke about it last week, and I I think that in my opinion I I don't th- I think the wave has crested. Has it crashed yet? No, I don't think it has. But I uh, I think diminishing returns over the next I hate to say it, but the next decade is going to bring an end to it, and I think that it will be it'll be justified. It'll be done well, but. I think everybody will be satisfied once it happens, because um, it has to happen. It can't keep on going. I, it, it really just keep on. It can't keep on going. <laughs> it really can't. I mean, every genre in the movies has come to an end. Westerns, the you know, the black and white, you know, became color. Westerns became. I don't know what the hell they became during the seventies, but they became something else. So they became. Yeah. I, I think westerns kind of morphed into that new American cinema yeah. of like Bonnie and Clyde right, and the Godfather right, right. or exactly. the Conversation, yeah. or you know, just the revolution of the late sixties and seventies. You know that we saw on the film uh, with uh, with characters from um, Easy Rider to Five Easy Pieces and you know Jack Nicholson counterculture characters. I mean, maybe that's what it became, but. That also will happen to the big studio productions like Marvel. Uh, it, it, I think it has crested and just not crashed yet. So we're going to keep on seeing a few more, and uh, so will you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, no, that's that's fine. I yeah. like I said, I've I've enjoyed. I think we both enjoyed yeah. these challenges more than yeah. we might have thought we uh, would. Uh, again, I'm sorry that you did not enjoy straight out. You know, high wire. You didn't. You didn't like it. That's fine. I enjoy i liked no man land for what it was uh, it resonated in some parts but in others it did not um I, I think that it this highlights this film more than any other i've seen her in highlights how great of an actress francis mcdermott is and you know what and the the fact that she was working with non-traditional actors she had her her look on her face when she's listening to the stories of the people uh, like uh, Swanky and Bob Wells, you know, she—you can tell that she is not acting in those in those scenes. She is feeling what they are feeling because they are pouring their hearts out to her, and uh, obviously us behind the cameras. And she is by far and away the greatest actress of the last twenty years, in my opinion. Yeah, I would probably yeah. agree with you there. I think whenever she's on the screen, yeah. she's just 
oh. entrancing. Did you did you know? Mm-hmm. And I just learned this that that she did Transformers three. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon. I was just oh my god, god, I can't believe I was just gonna say that. Yeah, she did Transformers three. Man, we're twinning right here, folks. This is this is the kind of rapport wow. that Jason and I have together. You know, we, we're we're thousands of miles away from each other. That I knew exactly where he was going with that sentence. Yes, she was in that film. He, yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I have her her debut, her screen debut is on my list of films to give you. Okay. Um, Blood Simple, 1984. It's a Coen Brothers movie. Mm, okay. But I don't think I'm going to give you back to back, Francis. Okay. Uh, but it's just it's it's just interesting because I'm looking at her mm-hmm. her IMDb and <laughs> like you know it's it's again it's. I don't think I think it's harder for her too because she's a female and she's older and she kind of started a little later and now there are fewer you know compelling roles for mm-hmm. older women. It's like you you've either got Meryl Streep or Frances right. McDormand yeah. or I'm not sure who else you get in these roles because I, there's just not a lot of them. No, I agree. Uh, but and and she was a strong character in this film. I mean, she she portrayed a woman who has hit the wall many times and has come through so uh, you know if nothing else you can definitely you know uh give it up for these people who are making it through yeah last week jason you said that it's it's a film that maybe shows the decline of this kind of lifestyle in 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 america and watching it and i remember what you saying that i'm like well why would you want this lifestyle and, you know, other than Bob Wells, who says, yes, you can live like this. You can. You can survive. Are you, are you living or are you just surviving? Uh, and that's, you know, yeah. this is different than going on a cross-country trip for a week or two in, in, a, in a luxury RV that most people would do. This is a person who has to fix up her van so that her shades work well and she can have privacy. Uh, so when she's doing her business in in the bucket, it's it's and to me, I I found it difficult to watch. It was it was very telling, though, and I think the performances won me over overall. But I thankfully I saw it and I don't think I'll see it again. Yeah. And you that's know what? It. And that, but that's fine. Yeah. I, it, I think the whole idea of this is that yeah. we yeah. were willing to, to watch something different right. for yeah. a change. Yeah. Um, all right, so I think that wraps us up Absolutely. on Haywire. Nice. Although, you know, I, I I fought the urge when you said that uh, Francis McDormand's character, Fern, had been, you know, bounced off of walls. Not unlike Gina Carano, who was bounced <laughs> off of walls by Michael Fassbender. No, in definitely the movie not the Haywire. Same. Definitely not the same way. Oh, listen, you know, if not nothing the same else, way. if nothing else, that was a great scene. So, yes. Yeah, so, okay. uh, moving on to next week, okay. uh, do you have anything for me in the tank? Because right now yeah. I'm debating between two films. Yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, of course, I had uh, a whole list, but you know, once again, uh, we bring up something during the podcast so we can challenge each other. And I think that you've brought it up enough times that I think it's time for you to see Black Panther. Uh, 2018, uh, excuse me, 2019, uh, Ryan Coogler film. It is everything that you've heard it was, Jason, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about it. You know, this is probably one of the movies that I'd hoped you would hit me with yeah. in the in the Marvel universe. And the, the reason I didn't is because it really, it really can, it, it, you really saw all the other films and didn't need to see this film for any kind of context. Uh, you know, Thor 3 probably would have been the only one that you could, you needed a little bit of context, and this one I kept out. But I'm glad that you wanted to see it. I think it's uh, you're you wanting you're wanting to see it for the right reasons. So there you go. Okay, cool. Black Panther for me. Uh, I accept that uh, eagerly. Thank you. Thank and you. so I was going to go a different direction with this, but because you said a number of times that Haywire was to you like a, a spy thriller mm-hmm. uh, that you really that you really enjoyed, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to throw a spy thriller that I really enjoyed at okay. you. Okay. And I don't think you've seen this. And if you have, we're going to have to cut this out of the final broadcast. (laughs) But um, I'm going to give you the Gary Oldman version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, I have seen it. I, 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 ah, we will now have yeah. to. I will now have to do some editing, or I leave this in. And uh, okay, I, I have I have my backup, okay, backup. which unfortunately mm-hmm. is kind of relevant because of what's happening in Eastern Europe right now. Right, right. But I'm going to give you uh, the uh, 
Antonio uh, Iannucci, I think that's how, I think that's his name, um, movie The Death of Stalin. Have you seen this? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever heard of it. No. Death of Stalin came out. I saw it on Netflix. Stars Steve Buscemi. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so it's sort of like a little bit of a comedy. I know of it. I never watched it. Yes. Yes, yes it, okay. it, it, it is a comedy. It, it's a very, very dark uh, yeah, yeah. comedy. Yeah. Um, and just because I don't want to screw the name up, I'm looking it up right mm-hmm. now. Armando Iannucci, yeah. who uh, show ran, created and show ran Veep with Julia Louis-Dreyfus okay. for so long. Okay. Well, challenge accepted. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's incredibly dark, mm-hmm. but I've seen it a few times. I think it's, I think it's hilarious mm-hmm. in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So mm-hmm. next week we're going to do Black Panther. And the death of Stalin. It'll be you and me again, I'm and hopefully I'll be I'll be home. And I'll be comfortable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you've been away this uh, all this time, and I feel your presence uh, is uh, been missing from the Northeast. Yes, it, it <laughs> truly has. So, uh, Arco, again, man, thanks for doing this. Oh, uh, thank you for continuing to give me solid movies. And oh, one last thing, I have to go because I was. It, you know, you know, you've made it as a mm-hmm. as a podcast when you mm-hmm. start getting people reaching out to you to tell you the things you've done wrong okay and i think and we we have made it because a friend of mine reached out to me and said that in the card counter episode i mispronounced tiffany haddish's name oh um i think it is pronounced tiff i thought i said haddish Uh and i was told it's haddish okay if i screwed that up i'm sorry and uh i just told this buddy of mine that i would make amends that we you and i are not so big in the podcasting world that mm-hmm. we cannot own when we make no, a mistake. No, absolutely. I'm, that's, listen, most of, most of the things I do are mistakes, so I'm happy to own them. <laughs> same here. Yeah. Same here. So I just wanted to get that out there. Very so good, there. We, we've, we've atoned for our sins, and we can move on. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, All right. I'm just happy people listening that they find the mistakes. <laughs> I'm, ama- I'm amazed yeah. every day, as yeah. you are. Yeah, there you but go. Cool. they are, and, and it's been a good time. Yeah, so, uh, Arco, okay. I will see you next week. Yes, Jason. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Movie Challenge Accepted. Take care, everybody.